Hello, and welcome to another Dimland Radio bonus episode. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I don't know if I've ever introduced a bonus episode quite this way, but I think it kind of makes sense. Anyway, the uh, this bonus episode, which I haven't posted one for quite a while, and I figured I wasn't doing a new show this week. It's the last weekend of February 2018, in case you guys are listening to this well into the future. Uh, and since I hadn't done a bonus episode in a while, I figured I'm not doing a show this week. Let's post a bonus episode. This one is going to be, well, a fairly self-indulgent show, but aren't all my shows. It, it covers um, two of the topics that are nearest and dearest to my heart. Uh, the, uh, the sport of baseball and my favorite rock band in the world, The Who. Uh, and also, I talk about the World Health Organization. That makes it into this show as well. Uh, so that hasn't stopped you from wanting to listen. <laughs> And uh, I don't blame you if it does. Uh, this is the uh, show that uh, originally aired in, uh, let's see, it was October, October 1st, 2016. It was my 292nd show. 292 shows at this point, or at that point. I'm up to whatever now, I don't know. doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, this is a bonus show, bonus show number eight, number nine, bonus show number nine, and uh, this was originally aired back in October 1st, 2016. I uh, have some fun talking about The Who uh, and the World Health Organization and baseball. There's also some talk about the Rolling Stones and some old young people these days. A little bit of that, too. So, uh, well, just sit back and enjoy this bonus episode. This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and we have find ourselves at the beginning of another October. Uh, long-time listeners to my show will know that October is my favorite month. I think it's great. I think uh, you know we're out of summer, finally, because I hate summer, generally. And uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, the change of seasons. Fall is the prettiest of all the seasons, or at least can be, and at least... I think so. Yeah, winter has its moments, but uh, no, no, fall is uh, kind of the prettiest. It's crisp, and the air is clean, and it generally doesn't rain as much in October. November gets a little blah, but October's nice. And then, of course, the month ends with uh, Halloween, and then throughout the month, it's baseball postseason, World Series. So that's, I mean, come on. How can you do much better than... than 
October. Or as we call it in our house, Rocktober. I know other people have used that term, Rocktober. So, so as is kind of a tradition on uh, Dimland Radio, I don't know if I've done it every year, but I do uh, think that it might be something I'll do each year. I'll try not to go too long on it because those of you are going to know the story. But I do relate the tale of the event, the single event that uh, uh, was absolutely life-changing. Changed my life. Uh, no, I'm not talking about when uh, Amy and I got married. Yeah, that was that was relatively important <laughs> and life-changing. And, and that did happen October. It did. Uh, no, and I'm not talking about uh, when Hayden was born. That happened in August, which is in summer, which I hate summer, but that aspect of it isn't so bad because my son was born. Uh, which, you know, I could say that was a bit of a life changer, too. No, 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 no. I'm talking about something really important. I hope they're not listening to me up there. <laughs> they're upstairs while I'm doing this. And I think I can hear one of them talking. Hmm. Anyway. You can't hear them. I think I can, though. Anyway. <clears throat> the event I'm talking about occurred on August 2nd. 1982, 34 years ago, uh, this coming Sunday. And that was when I saw The Who in concert for the first time. It was, uh, I, I cannot oversell, eh, maybe I can a little, how important that was. Now, it was completely unplanned. I didn't, I knew who The Who were, I knew the band, I knew some of their songs, I knew, you know, my generation and I can see for miles and Teenage Wasteland, which is not the name of the song, but that's what I thought it was. I, I knew some of their stuff, at least uh, you know. But, and I knew Pete Townsend had a, a solo album out, so I must have known the song I Let "My Love Open the Door" and probably the song "Rough Boys." I knew that they had a new album out, and the single that was getting some airplay at the time was Athena, and I liked that song, so I I knew that much about them. And I guess I knew, you know, Pete Townsend. I don't know if I could have told you the names of the members of the band if you asked me at that time. Maybe I couldn't have even named Pete Townsend. I don't know. But anyway, I knew them. But it just, you know, I wasn't. They were just an old rock band. Well, uh, each at, in, in those days, each month, once or twice a month, I'd head downtown St. Paul to a little comic book store that was down there. And that comic book store was just, you know, a matter of yards away from the St. Paul Civic Center, which was the venue for the Who's big concert on, on uh, August or October 2nd, and then on, again the next night on October 3rd. And it was a weekend. It was a Saturday uh, that I was downtown getting some comic books, picking up my, you know, my nerding out stuff. And, uh, and I finished that, and I was standing in front of the Civic Center waiting for the bus to go back home. Bus comes along, I get on, I don't know, next stop or so. A bunch of potheads get on the bus, and I happen to know one of them. One of them is one of the guys that I worked with at the time at that restaurant, that town crier, the one I got fired from, you know, the conspiracy that was against me. Well, Probably not a conspiracy against me, but I talked about that last week. But I was working at that restaurant. In fact, that ended up being the last night I worked there. 
because uh, and I well yeah you know, getting ahead of myself in the story anyway these guys compiling on the bus the one guy that I knew that I worked with that you know he recognizes me and he comes up and says, hey professor because I think that's what they called me back then I must look smart or something at least to them they weren't the brightest bunch some of them were okay but anyway he comes up to me he says oh you going to go see the who you know, they're in town this weekend. You go go see the Who, and I just went, meow, meow, meow. I'm gonna take my comic books home, and I'm gonna read my comic books. I can't. I'm gonna read my comic books as I pushed my glasses up on my nose. Oh man, you should go see the Who, man, because it's uh, great, man. It's their last tour or whatever. Mm. Whatever. I, I'm not exactly how the whole exchange went. I don't remember exactly, but uh, yeah, something along those lines. I said, no, no, I'm not going. And so they, you know, whatever. And I get home. And I, I step in the door, and Mom says, Oh, oh, it's urgent that you call your friend John right away. He needs you to, you know, he says, to have you call him as soon as you get home. So I called him. And John says, uh, I've got three tickets to the Who concert tonight. I've got Eric. He'll go. Do you want to go? And I said, Sure. And he says, I don't know why I got three tickets when he bought them. He says, I bought three. I don't know why. I just, instead of buying two or just one, uh, he so anyway so we had three tickets so all of a sudden I'm going to the show and we went and uh, especially with John and I because John and I after that you know we we especially after I gra we graduated high school and I went to art school he went to the U University of Minnesota and we started hanging out a lot more once we got out of high school we hung out a bit in high school but after high school we really started hanging out going to First Avenue all the time and and going to lots of concerts and that kind of stuff and drinking and you know carousing. In a, in a fairly safe sort of way. We didn't carouse much. We weren't picking up chicks or anything. But anyway, we, uh, <clears throat> we both gravitated to The Who when we saw that, when we saw that show. I mean, John must have been more of a fan of the band than I was because obviously he bought three tickets. And But when we were there, it was just, oh! <laughs> it was, it, for me anyway. And I was surprised. I knew song after song after song after songs. So, oh wow, I know that song too. I, I know that one too, and I know that one. It was, it was. I was surprised. Now they didn't play Athena, and I thought maybe they'd play some solo Who, uh, Pete Townsend stuff, but they didn't do any of that. They just it was all Who songs, except they did do uh, the very last song of the night was uh, Twist and Shout, which is kind of known as a Beatles song, but it's a, the Beatles were actually doing a cover of I, I think it's the Isley Brothers. Uh, don't quote me on that, but anyway, whoever it was. That was a cover that the Beatles did, and the Who, you know, last song of the night was Twist and Shout, which was kind of fun. And so, uh, I mean, it's just, after that, it was all the Who. <laughs> uh, the, I mean, my life, there was my life before the Who, and then after the Who, you know? And, and which is kind of, you know, you can pick any point. It was my life before today and after today. That's just, you know, that's true. Uh, but it was, especially when it came to music. Because The Who had a huge effect, Pete Townsend especially, had a huge effect on the kind of music that I would listen to from then on. Uh, soon I dumped away all the, all the corporate rock crap, the you know, Foreigner, Kansas, and, which Kansas was the first concert I went to. The Who was my second concert. Whenever somebody puts up a, a graphic on Facebook, you know, it says, uh, my first concert was... It's like trying to elicit answers in the comments. And I always say, you know, I always answer, much uh, less interesting than my second concert. Uh, Kansas was, meh. 
you know, it was fine, but it wasn't it, it wasn't the lead singer that it used had been before. Like I think his name is Steve Walsh or something. He was gone, and they had some new guy in there. But whatever. When the Who comes up, I mean, it was just blown away. It was just a complete difference. And so uh, I started diving into everything about the Who, getting all their albums, reading books about the Who. John was doing the same thing, and we just were just really enjoying this band and discovering this band that had been around for. I don't know, 20, 30 years by that point. Uh, 20 years by that point. Um, so we 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 just digging in everything we could. And at some point, I read about, you know, through the history of The Who, uh, when it got to the late 70s and punk rock started taking the UK by storm, a little less so here in America, but in, in the United Kingdom, it was, it was big. Uh, Pete embraced it he thought this is great this is this is this is what should be happening with rock and roll the younger people coming up the, the these new rock bands coming up should be having you know the torch should be passed on to them so they can keep the rebellious nature of rock and roll alive and the energy of rock going where all, all while us dinosaurs can explore new forms of music that we're interested in and do you know expand what we're doing and we don't have to keep Filling that that niche, that 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 role that we had when we were younger, because it's not necessary anymore. We've got the the young kids are there, so I uh, uh, it's uh, you know so I start thinking, well, you know, maybe punk rock is interesting. Hmm, Pete Townsend likes it. Hmm, this also coincided with me going to art school and hanging out with punks and goths and and those sorts, listening to punk music and punk rock uh, or post-punk and, and goth music and, you know, the alternative of the day and and some of the stuff from, you know, that led up to it, you know, the Sex Pistols and that. And at first when I heard the Sex Pistols, I didn't think much of it, but when I gave it a little more listen, I, oh, okay, I think I've seen what's going on here and then I really start to embrace it and I just got into it. And that's when, why well, just, you know, all the old bands that I used to listen to just went away. Chicago and all that. Some of them might have been good, you know, I kept Rush a little bit. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't get rid of Cheap Trick. You know, I still like them, but but the other ones just kind of you know, just faded away, or or I became almost hostile toward them. <laughs> it's just oh, how can you like that crap? Foreigner, they suck. And I gotta say, I don't think much of Foreigner now. But there's a f couple few songs by Journey I don't mind anymore. Or, you know, I'm kind of you know I've mellowed a little bit. But that's what happened. That's what happened 34 years ago this weekend. It just, I can't, I cannot stress how important the band is to me. Just, you know, it's really cool. So speaking of The Who, somebody shared a video on Facebook today uh, that was of the Rolling Stones from about 1968. And they were, it's the video of them performing live the song... Uh, can't you can't always get what you want, and it was part of uh, the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, which um, which was a, a, a concert event that I think Mick Jagger he had the idea. Let's have this concert event, and it'll kind of help uh, bring you know bring these bands and the Rolling Stones to you know their live show to a bigger audience than, than just playing you know concerts going around because more people can watch them on TV that kind of thing and I think it did play on on BBC television at least once and it was I believe released in this in the theaters for a little bit I think but you know don't quote me on that but it featured uh, artists such as uh, 
Jethro Tull and Marianne Faithful and Taj Mahal, uh, uh, the Dirt Mac Band, which was John Lennon's band, uh, he and Yoko. Uh, Yoko was doing her dolphin calls um, in the in the set or in the in the songs that they played, uh, and um, and the Who were part of it, and. I, and as I, what I read about it when reading about the Who and about this particular event, that you know they made up this kind of circus-looking, you know, like a big tent kind of thing. They had people down there dressed as clowns, and they people just, just you know these fans in watching. And then there was you know the members of the other bands would sit and watch as the ones played. And they and the Who came on early in the evening, and they just blew everyone away. They played their song "A Quick One While He's Away," which is a—it's about a nine or ten-minute-long song, which is about six or seven songs all kind of put together. It's a kind of a mini opera, uh, as Townsend had called it. The, they were Tommy's parents. That little set of songs, and you know, so it's in. Uh, it was a. It was a, It was done for their second album. Uh, they were. Uh, they needed. 10 minutes of material for the album to really kind of fill it out. Uh, they didn't have it. it. It was the second album. The Some record execs thought it was a good idea that, well, since the Beatles are writing all their own songs now, well, the Who should write all their own songs, even though Townsend was writing stuff for them. But uh, their first album, they had some cover songs on it. But sure, you can do a couple covers, but we want each member of the band to write two songs. That was the, uh, I think that was the, the edict for that particular album, which was called A Quick One. And, uh, well, Pete had no problem, and John Entwistle, the bass player, he had no problem, because they, you know, they were writing uh, already. Uh, Roger had some difficulties. Keith did okay. He had a couple songs. Uh, Roger got one on there, and I think he had Pete's help with it. But they still were short, and it was about ten minutes. And so they came up with the idea, let's do this little connected uh, songs about a one topic, and, uh, and and so they played it in the rock and roll circus, and it was fantastic. It's just it's just awesome. It's fantastic. It was so good that uh, by the time the who uh, by the time the Stones got on stage and they played a few songs, it it didn't you know it was way late at night. The energy level had come down, and it felt as though the Who had upstaged. The Stones, even though Jagger was on, you know, in in good form and everything, it just it felt like the Who had upstaged them, and uh, if there was even some talk about maybe repackaging it and sending it out as the Who's Rock and Roll Circus, since they were, you know, since since their bit was so exciting, but that didn't happen. Uh, it was released as the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus, and then it went away for a long time until I think in the 90s they re reissued it on DVD or something. Um, but <clears throat> the thing I wanted to mention about this, uh, the video being shared on Facebook, was that one of the people that commented, and, and you know, and I checked it out. This guy is a little more than 10 years younger than I am. He's like 12 years younger than I am or something. Maybe, uh, yeah, somewhere around there. He's eight to 12 years younger than me. I'm not sure. I can't, don't, you know, I'm over 50. You don't expect me to remember everything, do you? Anyway, so he's younger than me. And he commented about this video 
that he says, um, is it just me, and this isn't exactly how he worded it, but it's close, is it just me or does the singer, quote, the singer, look a lot like Ashton Kutcher from that, seven, you know, during that 70s show when he was on that? And somebody else commented back, says, I was thinking the same thing. And I, <laughs> and I wrote in a comment and I wrote, does the singer, the singer, you can't be saying that you don't know the name of the singer, can you? Or words to that effect. <laughs> and he did comment back. He said, I know who it is. It's just for the life of me, I can't think of his name. And this made me think about this. That if we just pertain to rock music and pop music, there's a, there's a, you know, with the longer lasting bands, there's a cycle. You know, they start out where they're getting popular and they're starting to show up on TV. And the parents at that time don't know the names of the band members and they get the names of the band members wrong if they're, if they're trying to be hip. And the kids all think, you're such squares. You know, their kids, you know, think, you're such squares. You don't know that's Mick Jagger. It's Mick Jagger, Dad. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Jack Jagger? Or, uh, no, it's Mick Jagger, Dad. You know, and, and so that's that's how it starts, and then it kind of comes around where where even the older generation that might not be into the music so much, it, it, it starts getting popular enough where they start to know, they start to understand. Oh, Mick Jagger! It, it starts it starts to become more establishment as the time as time goes on. So. You know, Mick Jagger's a household name, essentially. And then it starts to contract back toward the, you know, that, that coming full circle where you get to a point now where it's the parents who still know the name of the singer and it's the kids that have no idea. And But the kids still think the parents are squares. Uh, is that fair? But it's, I just went, Wow. It's 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 coming to that because that's what's going that is going to happen, that. Yeah, you know, it it it'll come around to where the younger generation has no idea who Mick Jagger is or barely any idea who Mick Jagger is. Now the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger they have a bit of a longer. Sorry about that. I dropped my my notes book. They may have a bit of a longer run before they go full circle. Some bands just kind of disappear real quick. But uh, I thought that was interesting. The singer. Yeah, what's his name? Rolling Stones. The Singer. Well, I'm going to take my break now. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back after this. Uh, sit tight. This could be suffering. This could be Did you see that UFO sighting that made the news? What did that latest study about alternative treatments really say? Is this photo making the rounds real or a hoax? 
Doubtful News is a unique website featuring news about pseudoscience, the paranormal, anomalies, and questionable claims framed with a skeptical view. Come visit doubtfulnews.com every day for news about cryptozoology, conspiracies, shams, scams, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Doubtful News. Critical thinking is essential in assessing today's news. Doubtful News helps you decide, can you really believe this stuff? Hey y'all, this is Tangina. You're gonna give me whiplash looking up there too. I've cleaned many houses, and I don't know what it is that hovers over Dr. Dim's house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take his wallet away from him. And I think what we might be dealing with is the beast. Hold on. Did you just say that Dr. Dim doesn't believe in poltergeists, tiny fortune tellers, or the beast? Well, holy sh**. Why the didn't somebody tell me? Anyway, Dr. Dim's a skeptic. He'll be right back on ztalkradio.com. I still think this house is clean. You listen when your body says, I'm tired, or I'm hungry. What if your body said something else might be wrong? Gynecologic cancers, cervical, ovarian, and uterine cancers have symptoms, so pay attention. If your body says something may be wrong, please listen. Learn the symptoms. Get the inside knowledge about gynecologic cancers. A message from HHS and CDC's Inside Knowledge Campaign. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. I am living on Channel Z. And welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Speaking of the who, uh, I was I was reminded of this. I don't know how it came to my mind, but it did. Um, something that took that happened back in the in the '90s, in the early '90s. Uh, it, it was when the uh, the country rock star. Uh, Garth Brooks was at the height of his newfound superstardom. I mean, he was he he became really big, and he had a special on uh, regular TV. Uh, I can remember seeing ads for that. And let's see, at the time, I was still working for the janitor company. I've been working for it forever <laughs> since 1989. Uh, and at that time, I was uh, I was cleaning a, uh, a health clinic that uh, just happens happened to be about a couple blocks from where I was living at the time. So I just you know, I'd be able to walk over there. Uh, I was doing a couple buildings a night, and that was one of them. So I'd head home and drop off the car, or maybe I'd drive over there. Whichever doesn't matter. Does, do you need to know that? You don't need to know that. So let's not get hooked up on that detail. Okay, let's just let it go. Anyway, so I'd get there, and they had urgent care. 
Monday through Friday nights and then on the weekend afternoons, which means I had to clean the thing seven days a week. And I did that for well over a year. There's a car squealing on its wheels. Ah, you'd think I'd have this studio soundproofed. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, I did that. But, you know, but because it was so close. I mean, even Christmas Day, I'd have to run over there, grab the trash, and straighten it up a little bit, and then head back home. Ugh. But anyway. When the urgent care is going, I, I'd get there, I'd clean one building earlier, and then I'd get there, that'd be my second building of the night, which would be my last of the night, and I'd get there, and the uh, uh, there's a there would be a doctor and a nurse and a receptionist uh, working, and they would, they would be finishing up. I'd get there, they'd be still working for maybe a half hour or so, and I'd take care of the part of the clinic they weren't using, and then by the time... I was ready to get to their section. They were ready to go. But I would you know, get to know these people. I'd talk to the doctors, and it'd be different doctors rotating. But it was always the same nurse, uh, almost always the same nurse, and the same receptionist. So I'd be talking to them and getting to know them about stuff and whatever. And we'd get into conversations. And I don't know what brought it up, but the receptionist was talking to me about this Garth Brooks special that was coming up. And she, uh, she talked about the fact that in this concert, now you might recall this, in this concert, they did it. They, they made a real big deal out of Garth Brooks smashing guitars. He and another band member would each have an acoustic guitar, and they they'd swing them at each other like they were swinging baseball bats, and smash the guitars in each other, and just destroy these very expensive guitars too. Uh, you know, I, I seem to recall her saying they're like a thousand dollars a piece, or maybe two thousand dollars a piece, but they're very expensive guitars. And my initial reaction, as I recall, was, it's been done. <laughs> it's been done. And it was done a long time ago. And it actually meant something when it was done. You see, when, when superstar Garth Brooks, who's making money hand over fist... I mean, he's, he's, he makes a ton of money off of that, that that special, making a ton of money off of his concerts. Is they're selling out all over the place, arenas and all that kind of crap. And he, he's making a ton of money off of album sales. This is still before download days. He's making money like crazy, and you know, you know, more power to him. Fine, great. He's got an audience. People like that crap that he put out. Fine, I got friends. I got prices. You know, I didn't. He wasn't for me. Just wasn't you know wasn't my thing, and I really did resent seeing the smashing of the guitars. Not like I'm John Hyatt and thinks that it's a terrible thing to see smashing a perfectly good guitar. No, no, because I'm a Pete Townsend fan, and he did it first. Now, when Pete Townsend smashed his first guitar in concert, it was an accident. I mean, it started out an accident, then he got mad and he just bashed the, the hell out of the thing. And uh, uh, you know he, he was. It was early on in the Who. They were playing, and they were always fairly a theatrical band. And so Pete would do a lot of jumping and, and dancing around, and you know do lots of stuff like that, swinging, you know, doing the windmill thing, and uh, just you know the Birdman thing where he put his arms out to his side, like he's you know, and his guitar is screaming some. 
feedback through the amps and busting people's eardrums and that. And uh, and he, and he, I was just watching an interview on YouTube, an older interview with him talking about being able to do that in concert and why he would do it. He says, well, essentially in concert he played rhythm guitar while John Entwistle, the bass player, was playing lead guitar on the bass, which is which is true. Now, Pete would do some lead stuff here and there, but for the most part, he was, in a lot of the songs, he's playing rhythm. And and it's and it's Entwistle that's holding down the beat while playing the lead lines, and just, you know, it's just really, oh, God, John, Entwistle was a monster of a musician. So Pete could do all this theatric stuff. And so early on, when they're doing their more maximum R&B type stuff, uh, he... They, they, they happened to be playing on a stage that had a ceiling that was kind of low, and he'd forgotten that. So he's, you know, he's, he's, he zips his guitar up into the air, kind of he does that thing, and then the, the neck of the guitar hits the ceiling, and it cracks and breaks the neck. And the audience, you know, some of the dudes in the audience started kind of laughing at this, and this, this angered Pete, and he just smashed the hell out of it. Well, that thrilled the audience. And suddenly it became a thing. Now, at the same time, you know, Pete was an art student. And there was this guy named, uh, what's his name? Uh, I got it written down here somewhere. Gustav Metzger, whose art was all about auto-destruction, or at least uh, for a time period. I'm not, I don't know if he, he, all of his art was always that. But he was doing stuff where he would do a piece of art, and then to further the art would be to destroy it. And it had some kind of deep meaning, kind of... The, the idea that, you know, the fear of nuclear war kind of worked into it. We live in a world that can be destroyed, and this is all this all kind of worked into it. You know, pretentious art bullshit, you know. And uh, Yoko Ono was actually affiliated with Gustav Metzger. There's there's early film where he's, you know, cutting her clothes off or something. Which isn't very exciting, but this is something he does. And, and so Pete would kind of weave that in. So for him... This smashing of the guitar came to mean this auto-destructive thing. It came to be a, a sign of uh, of uh, uh, rebellion toward the establishment of music that was before them. This is how, how how could you possibly smash your instruments? What are you doing? And it's a, these are these are you know smashing a perfectly good guitar. How could you do such a thing? And it was just like yeah, this is what it means to us, and we can do this kind of thing. And it was all you know, it was it was. Exciting, and people started showing up to the shows wanting to see the instruments get smashed. And of course, Keith Moon would join in and bust the hell out of his drum set. Now, John Entwistle would not join in. <laughs> he ain't busting up his guitar, his bass guitar. He's not doing that. But it, so it became a thing, and this was happening early on in the Who when they were not making money. In fact, they they might have made money if it weren't for all the ba the the instrument smashing and hotel room bashing up that Keith seemed to enjoy so much. So it it became, it, you know, it, it was meaningful in that they were doing it because it it uh, it was it was painful to do it because it was hurting them financially, and uh, Pete had to learn how to repair guitars because he was able to do that with some of them, but they'd have to you know go into debt to keep the equipment to be able to play the shows, and they all expect him to smash a guitar. I mean, if you're doing you know, when they when they toured America early on with Murray the K, uh, as as Keith would say, you know, you come out there and you play, you know, uh, one and a half minutes of one song and one and a half minutes of another song, smash your guitar and run off the stage, you know, and they would do that how many times? So how many guitars would get smashed up and how many, you know, 
it's just it was it was incredible the amount of debt they were piling up because of that. And then they recorded Tommy, which was their rock opera, and that made the band rich. They became wealthy because that that sold like crazy. It was brilliant, and people just were looking at it as this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, I was just watching Townsend giving an interview, and this is again from a few years ago, but he was giving an interview about the song Pinball Wizard, and I didn't I didn't know this, but Pinball Wizard was uh, it was kind of an afterthought to put on the album Tommy. Um, there was a music critic that uh, Townsend was friends with back in the day, and they brought him in to have kind of a sneak peek at uh, Tommy, and this was before Pinball Wizard was included on the album, before it was even written. And the guy said, "You know, it's it's good. I like it, but it's you know it's kind of dull. It's you know it, it's kind of, it's missing something. It's you know." And so they, he and this guy, uh, was it Nick Cohen? I think his name was Nicholas Cohen. They kind of talked about it, and it was Cohen that had the idea about pinball because it says Pete and this guy would play pin, pinball together, and uh, and Pete just took the idea and he came up with the song Pinball Wizard, and. Yeah, and and he you know refitted some of the other material that had been recorded for the albums to kind of pull in the pinball thing, and you know and it seemed to help. And Pinball Wizard was released as a single before the album came out, and there was a bit of a what the hell are you guys doing, deaf, dumb, and blind kid? What are you making fun of you know, handicapped people? What's what, what is this song all about? That's the, that was the reaction, and and uh, I think there was another critic that was very critical of that of that song, but then. They, they said, no, 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 this is part of something bigger. This is part of, you know, and then Tommy comes out, and they went, oh, okay, we get it now. And they thought it was brilliant and all that. So they all get rich. And it was at that time, essentially, Pete started getting tired of smashing his instruments. And he thought, this is kind of a circus act, and we shouldn't be doing it anymore. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't mean anything now because we can afford it. And it, and and he just he didn't he he would he stopped doing it for a while and the audience would get upset and so he'd start doing it again and and in the later years in the much later years of the Who um, you know when I saw them for the first time in 1982 the, he didn't smash his guitar we were kind of hoping <laughs> but he didn't do it and uh, he and he would only do it very very seldomly uh, I guess not all that long ago. Uh, Townsend had an appearance on, uh, on David Letterman's show, and he smashed a guitar on the show. But he did it as uh, because you know the guitar itself was pretty valuable, just as a, as the instrument. It was expensive guitar, just as the instrument is pretty valuable. You have Pete Townsend play it, and it becomes more valuable. You have Pete Townsend smash it, and it becomes even more valuable. So he smashed it, and then it was used to auction to auction off to raise money for whatever charity that Pete was working with at that time. So so that's when he would do he'd do this once in a while, sometimes it was for charity, but it just became very seldom in fact. Uh, but I did just see a video from a couple of years ago for this tour, the Who Hits 50 tour, um, or Hit 50 tour. Hits? Hit? Whatever. Uh, and they're whatever, wherever the concert was, somewhere in the UK, uh, they're playing Eminence Front, which is uh, the song that Pete takes the lead vocal on, and he's you know does a lot of guitar work on there and and does the lead vocal and he's he, you watch the video he's he's he starts to play it and something's going wrong with his guitar 
It's just, it's just not. It's zorching out. It's not going. He's like, and he tries to play, and he's and he's singing, and you can see him getting a little flustered. <laughs> and he takes the guitar off of his shoulder. You know, takes the strap off, and he just throws the thing. It goes off camera, and you hear it clang against the stage. And then he just, he, you know, then he just stands there and continues to sing the song while the rest of the band continues to keep the song going. And then after a few moments, uh, his his guitar tech comes out with another guitar for him, and he straps that on and and you know finishes the song so that was you know he'll do that if he gets upset enough at the thing and uh so when i think back to the garth brooks thing and what bothered me so much well it's because what did it mean to garth brooks it didn't mean anything it's just you know, he could you know if the guitar costs a thousand dollars he could smash 10 of them a week and it yeah so what you know, <laughs> I make you know ten times that for each show that I perform. So yeah, okay. It's like you know, ten times you know, ten guitars. <laughs> it's like if it's, if he's paying a thousand a piece, I'm sure he, he, was, he was making money. It didn't mean anything. It was just ridiculous, and it'd been done before. So it yeah yeah that was uh, uh that was pretty annoying. And oh, and before I get to the next thing there's a meme going around i'm gonna have to try and find it's a, a graphic going around that's got a picture of uh of uh justin bieber and, and you know it's, it's two images the top image is justin bieber the bottom image is the who the original members of the who uh very young hip looking and and it's saying something about uh um a, you know uh bieber prayed to god for for talent uh, and 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 then shows the but the who said no or something like that and like 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 the who are gods and they you know whatever and that and that made me think of something and I did share it in the in the comment thread that, that this image showed up on and I said well you know <clears throat> here's the here's the entire concert that they performed in Minneapolis back in May. And at the end of the show, when Pete's doing his introductions of the band and he's doing stuff, he says, you know, go home and listen to Justin Bieber. And the audience all starts booing. And, and Towns says, hey, you know, I, you know, I know it's just thick. But, you know, he's really not that bad. And the audience goes, and he says, oh, well, don't tell us about this. We know about you know, He just he kind of admonishes the audience a little bit. But he, but Town, there's Townsend saying that Justin Bieber isn't that really that bad bad <laughs> i thought that was something that the uh that uh the who fans that shared that and thinking that justin bieber sucks and maybe he does i don't know i i can't tell you if i've heard any of his songs what do i know i do know it's time for my next break i'll be back after this you're listening to dimline radio on the z talk radio network at ztalkradio.com i'm your host jim dr Niffit Simmons. sit tight hang on bringing you the best radio possible. We will test your senses with innovative and entertaining radio programming. 
honest, informative, inspirational, and on occasion, controversial. Our listening audience will also have the opportunity to interact with the show hosts and guests through live chat and call-in capabilities. You can't be left out of the loop. Tune into all our live shows once, and you'll never turn your computer off again. Z-Talk Radio on your computer dial. Your healthy addiction. This is Meryl Streep. There's so much in life we can't control. But here's something we can. Colorectal cancer. It's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., but it is almost entirely preventable. Screening finds polyps so they can be removed before they turn into cancer. If you're over 50, get screened for colorectal cancer. Screening saves lives. It could really save your life. For more information, call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Dr. Dim might even have a guest or two. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio network if this station is not your cup of tea then drink coffee 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 drink coffee 100% news 100% information 100% guarantee thought you might say that <laughs> You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Uh, all the bumpers tonight are Who songs, uh, all from the 80s. I should maybe someday try to figure out how to make some more bumpers because uh, uh, we've got different software now. and I have to figure out how to make it work. But other than that, and so then, you know, for next year when I do this to the show where I tell you the story about seeing the Who for the first time and use all Who bumpers, I can actually use the stuff not from the 80s. You know, that would be kind of cool. Because yeah, I'd make an exception for the Who playing non-80s bumpers because, you know, they're the greatest band ever. Speaking of the Who, uh, this item, this news came out this week. This awesome, awesome, terrific, great news came out this week uh, from the World Health Organization, or WHO. See what I did there? See, I'm not going to talk about the band. I'm going to talk about the World Health Organization, uh, uh, an announcement they made recently. Isn't that? See, see what I'm doing there? <laughs> see, speaking. Okay. Uh, the news is, uh, I'll just read this. This is a piece uh, that uh, 
found on the internets. Measles has been eradicated from the Americas after decades of vaccination efforts and the world's first region uh, the world's first region to rid itself of the highly contagious disease, global health authorities said Tuesday. I guess that's Tuesday this last, of this last week. Now, how's that, huh? Despite the best efforts of anti-vaxxers to keep our kids getting sick from preventable diseases, despite their best efforts, and despite the occasional outbreaks, because remember a couple couple years ago, California, the Disney World, uh, the Disneyland thing, uh, despite you know there was an outbreak there because what's happening is well I'll read you more in the article. Uh, what's happening is even though the disease is essentially eradicated from the Americas, and that's just not the United States. That's Canada up there, Mexico, Central America, South America. It's that's all across there because of science. Because of vaccines, they work. Vaccines work. So here, I'll read you more from, uh, from this article. Measles remains a top killer of children worldwide, and it took nearly 115,000 lives in 2014, or about 13 deaths every hour, according to the World Health Organization. Who? See? Get it? See what I see? The who? Speaking of who? Yeah, okay, I already went over that. Before vaccination became widespread around the globe, measles killed about 2.6 million people per year. Endemic transmission of measles has been eliminated from the region, said WHO director Pete Townsend. No, sorry, sorry. it's Roger Daltrey. No, no, just kidding. Uh, uh, Margaret Chan, uh, the WHO, I mean World Health Organization, Margaret Chan. Uh, the Americas region has shown that with strong national immunization programs, dedicated financing and strong political commitment and partner support, measles can be stopped, she added, describing it as an outstanding achievement. Measles is now the fifth vaccine-preventable disease to be eliminated in the Americas after smallpox, polio, rubella, and congenital rubella syndrome. Uh, according to the Pan-American Health Organization, PAHO, which isn't as cool as the WHO. Yeah. I didn't say speaking of PAHO. PAHO? PAHO? The end of endemic transmission means the virus is no longer commonly spread locally, although imported cases may still lead to isolated outbreaks. The region of the Americas reported its last endemic case in 2002. It's been 14 years. However, since measles continues to circulate worldwide, some countries continue to report imported cases, PAHO said in a statement. P-A-H-O. Over the past year, from, 20, uh, from August 2015 to August 2016, all countries in the Americas have shown documentation that endemic measles has been wiped out. This is a historic day for our region and indeed the world, said PAHO director uh, Carissa uh, Etene. I don't know if I got that right. Sorry. In, let's see. Uh, it is the result of a commitment made more than two decades ago in 1994, when the countries of the Americas pledged to end measles circulation by the turn of the 21st century. 
Measles is a highly contagious virus that lives in the nose and throat of an infected person and can linger in the air for hours, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC. Symptoms include reddish rash, white bumps inside the cheeks, fever, runny nose, and cough. Severe complications can occur, leading to miscarriage in pregnant women, as well as the risk of death by pneumonia or brain swelling. A vaccine became widely available in 1963, but the virus has proved difficult to eradicate. In recent years, measles outbreaks have driven uh, have risen in some parts of the United States and Europe where parents have refused to vaccinate their children. Thank you, Jenny McCarthy. Thank you. When a person is infected outside the, the area and returns to an area with lower vaccination rates, more children are at risk of getting sick and spreading the disease. Sometimes people uh, that are unvaccinated are in groups so you can see clusters of cases, said CDC's Susan Reef, uh, noting that just such an outbreak in California last year does not qualify as endemic transmission. It was an outbreak because unvaccinated folks who had been out of country came in and spread it around. Experts said the success of the Americas should not lead people to become complacent about vaccine efforts, which must be maintained at high levels to keep the virus at bay. It is my hope that other regions of the world are encouraged by the success of the Americas, said Margaret Chan. Uh, what's her name, right? Margaret Chan? Yeah, she's the director of the WHO, uh, of WHO, uh, World Health Organization. And that is the lessons learned here, let's see, and that the lessons learned here serve them as they move forward toward their own elimination goals. This is, this is awesome news. This is because science works you, you, you can wish things away you can pray them away you can wave your hands you can do reiki and therapeutic touch and you can do your tarot cards and you can do all that crap but none of it is going to do anything it might make you feel better emotionally or something like that but it's not going to get rid of a disease of a dread disease that can kill people and it's very contagious. Uh, so we're, this is awesome. So, it, I mean, when I saw that, I went, really? But what about the thing? Oh, then I understand. Endemic means that the, the disease is within the country and it's just kind of moving around from person to person and it's still, you know, that, it, that it's originating from within the country. But what we're seeing with these little outbreaks is it's brought in from areas of the world where vaccination rates aren't high enough and people are still uh, spreading it around. Just tell you, I tell you, they're just spreading it around. Well, that's awesome. Speaking of the Who, and really, I, I'm not going to be speaking of the Who, but I just had to say it. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about baseball. I just, I, there's no way I can connect it to the Who. At least I, I, I couldn't come up with one. And, but what I wanted to mention that you know how Hollywood is. Uh, they, you don't get your history from movies. Uh, don't get your history from Hollywood because they're going to embellish things. Even though they may try... Uh, I just wrote a, uh, a review of the series Band of Brothers for the Nostalgia Zones uh, blog, Warehouse Find. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes so you can check it out. Um, 
because it's that docu the documentary that series that mini series on H uh, HBO HBO yeah HBO um, that's mini uh, yeah mini series sorry I'm tripping on some things here acid yeah I'm tripping on acid no I'm not just my words oh man it's quite a trip I see colors I you know well, of course I see colors <laughs> stupid thing to say <laughs> I taste I see colors. Well, yeah, here's, you should. Anyway, oh man. Anyway, uh, the who? Uh, no, baseball. Uh, I was gonna go into some other direction, but let's let's just let's just talk about the baseball thing that I was gonna talk about. Uh, Hollywood, oh, um, it doesn't get history right all the time. Sometimes they make a really good effort, like as in Band of Brothers. They made as good an effort as they could with uh, you know being able to dramatize historical events. You kind of have to combine some stuff into characters. Things happening to other characters happen to you know you know happen to different characters, the ones that they're focusing on in the show, and just it's stuff like that. But for Band of Brothers, the the idea was to let's get this the spirit correct. Let's get the ideas correct. They, they showed it to surviving members of Easy Company, which is who the, the, the series focuses on, and uh, you know to get their approval before they you know move forward. They, they would keep them in the loop you know, before they would put stuff in the can and say, okay, how's that? are we good? Are we good? And they, you know, they approved things along the way. And uh, just to make sure that it was historically accurate and everything. Well, it, it, so, it, so uh, Hollywood did a stuff about baseball. Uh, it's done several movies about baseball, and one of them was A League of Their Own, which was about the uh, the women's league that uh, came up during World War II, and it, and it stayed you know, a going thing for a while uh, after World War II. Uh, and you know the film, and you know the iconic line that you know the line from the movie. You know, there's no crying in baseball. You know, because one of the gals was upset about something. She started to cry, and and Tom Hanks' character, whatever his name was, couldn't handle that. And she, Are you crying? You're crying? There's no crying in baseball. Well, bullshit. <laughs> Tell that to Mike Schmidt. He, who when he retired, he announced his retirement. He was blubbering. <laughs> In that press conference, you know, there's no crying in baseball. You know, tell that to Pete Rose when he broke Ty Cobb's hitting record and he stood there on second base or whatever he was. Uh, I think he hit a double uh, when he's standing on base and he just started crying. You know, it says, "Tell that to Pete Rose that there's no crying in baseball." You know, there's no crying in baseball. Tell that to Joe Torre. Joe Torre, who managed the hated Yankees, and it, you know, he got them you know, that that first World Series. That he managed them, that they won. I don't know what number it was, number four hundred thousand of their wins of World Series. But, but that one, even people like me who hate the Yankees, we all smiled and we felt good about that because we liked Joe Torre. We liked the guy, and you know he cried when they won. Don't tell me there's no crying in baseball. Well, this past weekend, the Miami Mar Marlins lost one of their players. Uh, it was a young pitcher named uh, Jose Fernandez. And I guess he was pretty good. He came up his rookie year. He was pretty impressive. And uh, then in his second year, he, um, he injured his elbow. 
Uh, a lot of these guys, these young guys, they get out there, they just torque their arms so hard, and when they pitch, they just, you know, they do this, like the slider pitch especially, apparently takes a lot out of the elbow, and if they rely on that pitch too much, uh, they end up getting Tommy John surgery, which is a, uh, Tommy John was the name of a pitcher that got this surgery that helps repair the elbow, and it's been called that ever since, and so when he's got that surgery, he's out for a year, and then he came back this season, and I mean, he's been in the All-Star Games, he's been, you know, he's just, he's an impressive young man, young pitcher, well-liked by his team, well, he was killed in a boating accident, I believe it was, uh, on Sunday, uh, whatever that date was, and... It's you know just you know it shook everybody and I and I watched this astonishing thing take place uh, afterward. Um, the next you know the team the game goes on and the team continues to, to play. Uh, they you know, the Marlins are not making the postseason. They have a much better record than my poor Minnesota Twins who have the worst record in baseball uh, this season. Just terrible. Probably the worst record in Twins. Uh, you know, in the Minnesota Twins history, maybe not in the franchise history, because that goes back to the Washington Senators. And I think the Senators might have had a percentage-wise worse record, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, they so they the next ga- the very next game that they play, the whole team is wearing Fernandez's number and his name on their jerseys, you know, on their backs. So it's like they're all wearing his jersey, and um, the leadoff hitter. Who apparently was a young man named uh, D. Gordon, very close to Fernandez. Uh, he he's the leadoff hitter, so he's it's the bottom of the first inning, and he comes up to bat. And now uh, Gordon is left-handed; he he bats left. Uh, Fernandez, National League, so the pitchers hit. Uh, he batted right. So G- Gordon goes up, wearing Fernandez's batting helmet, and and sets up in. You know, to hit right-handed, and he just takes the pitch for a ball, and and then you know he does just a sort of a sort of a tribute to his friend, and then he hands the uh, helmet off to the bat boy, puts on his helmet, and, and sets up on the right side of the plate, which I didn't think you could do, but you can do that if you're a switch hitter in baseball, you can switch sides of the plate after every pitch, you just can't you just can't do it once the the pitcher has set. Once they've they've come set, you know, and they're ready to pitch, you can't switch then. But I didn't know that. So anyway, so he 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 gets around to the other side of the plate, takes another pitch for a ball, and then hits the third pitch out of the park. And I do believe it was his first home run of the season. He does not look like he's built like a home run hitter, but he cracked that sucker out of there, and just cried <laughs> the entire way around the plate, uh, around the bases. And he was greeted in, in the dugout by his team, and you know, and then afterward, the whole team, arms around each other, circled the the pitcher's mound, and it was just, don't tell me, there's no crying in baseball because it's just bullshit. Good night, our doctor. Good night, Frau Blue. Oh, looks like I went a minute or two over. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Uh, listen, be skeptical, and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Uh, you've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Simmons, reminding you that Simmons, I screwed up my name there, reminding you to sleep with the lights off. It's October. Baseball. Postseason. Ha- Halloween. Halloween. Ooh, it's going to be awesome.
can check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option, and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in. Well, I'm going to hell. <laughs>